Hi everyone, I'm Emily Davis. I farm in central Otago, New Zealand. And today I'm here with Matt and Andrew from AgWatchers for the Global Sheep Forum. There you go. That's probably, I know we say this quite often. It's one of the one of the best ones. That was yeah. one of the best ones. Uh, yeah. Well, they've all been good, apart from Zach Whale. <laughs> uh, but we won't, we won't mention him again. Um, but that was a good one. That was that was dis- that was to the point. That was that wasn't five minutes long because we always say a short intro. So yeah, it's good points. And um, we we couldn't do any better than that, I wouldn't think. And that's why we don't do it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. That's it. That's why we stopped doing the intro, Matthew. So we'll get into it. This is a, obviously a, a, this is one of the uh, podcasts with the Global Sheep Forum Next Generation. So we will get into that in a second, but we do have to start off with our mm. criticisms and compliments uh, section. So we did get, it's not necessarily a criticism or a compliment, but there has, so, there has been some comments this week about our friendship. Ah, right. Okay. As in just that it's a bit dubious or it's... Uh, no, well, people, people aren't having the belief that the two of us are friends. <laughs> And I just want to get this out there. You mean our, our professional associations? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, I just want people to to understand that Matt and I are not friends. We are we are business partners, professional partners only, and, <laughs> and the terms partners does not mean anything else other than business partners. Hmm. But you you putting on social media kind of pictures of two silhouetted men walking into the sunset holding hands doesn't probably help. And it probably right. doesn't. It probably doesn't help that we were sighted in La Scala in Griffith, in a, in a in a, in a romantic in a, cup, in a couple's booth together, mm, uh, having oysters. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was the criticism, compliments, and uh, clarification section uh, over and done with for the week. Send your comments in to uh, to Matt or myself, and we will we will fix them up. Emily. Um, we will get an intro from you in a second, but yeah, well, I'll just do, do the intro just now. A yeah, quick intro. We, yeah, who, who, who you are, where you're from, and why you're here. Well, she, she did that. In the, she did that already. You may give a bit more flavor, a bit more, a bit more flavor too. Like yeah. where you where you're farming and that kind of stuff, and what you're doing in that space. What's your name? Where do you come from? <laughs> right. Um, well, I'm Emily. Uh, I you can probably tell by my accent. I'm not actually from New Zealand. So originally I'm from Lincolnshire in the UK, um, but I moved to New Zealand about five years ago and I've been in central Otago, which is sort of the bottom half of the South Island for about four and a half years where I work on a sheep and beef farm. We'll We'll get into more detail and more depth, but first of all, we've got to test your mental acuity. Yep, six cents just, oh just to make sure you're going to be able to manage the whole of the podcast. A lot of people, a lot of people fail this. People yep. think people think that we put out a lot of podcasts, but it's the number of podcasts we don't put out that's more important. For, for every podcast we do, there's five podcasts sitting yep. on, the, on the cutting room floor because somebody could not handle the stress of the sixth sense. Yep. yep. So no we, pressure then. <laughs> no pressure, but like it's it, look. The thing is, if you fail, you don't have to be concerned about it it's just if you're in a long line of other people who have failed the ag watchers six sense test yep, yep, not, yep. there's no stigma these days to fail no. and the first step is us making sure we get to six because we sometimes miss we can't count that far 
Once yeah. we go past five, we start so, to so, so sometimes it's the, four, the, the fourth sense. Um, right, so we're going to throw a statement at you or a word, and you just come back to us with the first thing that comes to head. Okay. And Matt will start off. Rural versus urban divide. Very big. That was a strange question because you worded that very badly. <laughs> Because that was rural versus urban divide, or is it just a rural urban divide? Oh, uh, probably doesn't. I think I think we got the message of what we got it the was. message, but it was just yeah. that was really badly worded. Okay. Black, black pudding. Oh, really nice. Love it. Oh, see, I told you. Good answer. So she's going to pass this with flying colours. Um, <laughs> what about the Women's World Cup of Football just recently held? Oh, inspiring but disappointing in the end. Carbon taxis in New Zealand. Sorry, taxis. Carbon taxis. Oh, carbon taxes. Jeez, um, I don't think my accent would be this bad with <laughs> a fellow Brit. You no, know, it just cut out slightly. Um, uh, ludicrous. What about uh, sheep farming? Uh, lots of fun. Getting into agriculture when not from a farm. Uh, not the easiest, but not impossible. That was that that's it. That's it. There you go. See, yeah. just had to double check there. I'm very professional keeping track of them. So, well, what do you think, Matt? Will we continue, or will we I think she's passed. I mean, the the black pudding being delicious, I think it was uh, that that straight away she had me. Then she was in yeah. as far as I was concerned. You can't get, you know, good answer. But I mean, coming from the UK, you'd expect that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially we, we, Lincoln, you'd have a lot of black pudding, good Lincolns in black pudding. In yeah, a lot, lot of pigs around Lincolnshire. I used, mm. spend, I used to spend a lot of time in Lincolnshire. Did so you? you had your first, he's had his first kiss in Lincolnshire behind the, no, behind the rock, no, I used, behind I used, the stone wall, I used, by the dry used, stone wall. I used to spend a lot of time because I used to work, we used to have a port in Immingham in Kings Lynn, which is sort of either side of Lincoln. So... Matt, you're, you're the odd one out here for a change. I know. I'm, all, I'm always bombarded on these podcasts with Aussies, which I am technically an Aussie, true blue Aussie, but it's not often that it's uh, a fellow Pommy, a British person. So the, the you mentioned the Women's World Cup, and you, I think you said inspiring but ultimately disappointing. Um, was that the disappointing part, I guess, was the New Zealand ladies not getting past the first round or – was there some other reason why you were disappointed in the end, Emily? No, it, it might might have been the final. <laughs> which Australia, think, which Australia think, didn't get into. No, sorry. I thought that might be a bit controversial coming on here. Nah, you're not Spanish, I suppose. So. No, no. I, okay. Right. I, I, I was keen to talk to you about one thing, yeah? Is that last question is getting into agriculture whilst not coming from a farm, yeah? Because Lincoln, yeah. Lincolnshire is a big agricultural area. And it's, just, it's like the UK's equivalent of Australia. It's just flat. A lot. But you, you grew up in the actual township there. Like you went on <clears throat> rural property, were you, when you when you grew up there? No. So I, I grew up in a little village, sort oh, yeah. of on the edge of a small town. Which village? Where's the nearest big town? Uh, well, grew up originally in North Highcombe, which is on the edge of Lincoln. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, near New York on Trent on the way. Yes, yeah, so and now, now 
well, now my parents sort of live halfway between the two, which is where I mostly lived. Yeah, so there's a lot of cereal farms around there. Mm. And yeah, very flat, as you say. It's flat, but it's but it's heavily agricultural that whole sort of mid part of the country. But so, what got you into agriculture first of all? Well, I think I think it was that really sort of growing up surrounded by farms. I was always you you're sort of seeing tractors going past all times of the day and night. Um, so I was always in, interested in what they were doing, but I didn't really. It sounds ridiculous to say, but I didn't realize that if you weren't born on a farm, you could actually do farming as a career I thought you had to be born into it um and I think it was when I got to choosing my subjects for sixth form at school I would just was having a bit of a I don't I don't know what to do with my life kind of thing and I remember talking to my dad and I said oh I don't know what to do but one day I'd like enough money to buy a farm and he's like well why why leave farming until until you know you retire why don't you see if you can actually do it as a career so then um I got in touch with the local estate because they have quite a big arable farm and they gave me the farm manager's number they said give this guy a ring he'll help you out so I called him and then he was like oh we're actually just combining so I'll come pick you up and you can come <laughs> for a ride on the combine so I did and then two hours later I was like this this is awesome I, I need to do this I need to find out how I can upskill myself and drive these things and get involved so you had so there was no one in the family or you know cousins or friends or anything like that that were in it even though you were surrounded by ag you didn't kind of know anyone firsthand really that was involved in it you just kind of jumped in no I mean my granddad grew up on a farm his his granddad had the farm so I think my mum can vaguely remember it but that's really the only link that I had to it so yeah I'd, growing up, I didn't really have any links. None of my friends were farming or anything. What was the what was the reaction when you kind of mentioned to your friends that that's what you're doing, and as you started to progress down that pathway, was was there a bit of surprise or you know interest from other people that were in the same situation as you, like you know a, a person from the township? Um, I think at first they probably thought it was a bit they didn't quite know where it come from, but no, I think they were really they're really interested actually. And like really supportive and which I think is important, especially working in farming, you know, sometimes you don't, you don't have all the free time in the world to go and meet your friends and stuff. And despite the fact that none of them are from farms or had much to do with farming, they're always very understanding if I'm, if I say I can't do this this weekend because, you know, we haven't, it's rained, we haven't got enough through harvesting the barley, that kind of thing. So no, they've, I think, and they're always very interested in it. And also, I think for them, they've learned a lot more about where the food comes from. So it's kind of had benefits both ways, I think. So then you went off to uni then, yeah? And did I get uni? Yeah. So I went to Nottingham University for four years. One of those years I spent in France in um, the Loire Valley, which was a really good experience. Mm. Uh, learned about wine. Right, so I, I learned, I did computer science at uni, but I also learned a lot about wine at uni. Uh, you mean you mean you mean Buckfast? Mainly Buckfast and mainly consumption. Um, <laughs> but so 
did you did you find this is i guess you went to uni did agriculture in nottingham yeah i yeah. imagine most of the people at nottingham doing ag came from farming background yeah majority of them yeah although i think the split was probably a bit more even than at other unis i look around i'd say there's probably maybe just under half of us that actually weren't from farms but yeah quite a few of them were and did the was there any sort of stigma from the those that came from a farm to those who weren't from a farm no not at all no no okay. it was really really good in that sense and there was no like there was no groupings where you know when you go to the union it was the uh the aggies on one side and the non-ag backgrounds on the other no ev everyone was sort of like <clears throat> yeah it was very together no okay. there was none of that really that's good. Andrew and I, Andrew and I both came from a, a an urban kind of ish background, wasn't it? Andrew, like we'd never started in ag originally and didn't study ag either, really. But right, well, technically, know, I did at a, at a, as a mature. Well, you, yeah, you did masters, yeah, masters in it, yeah. But the original course both did wasn't in ag. No, so, and, and we and we even to today, Andrew, we get shunned and ridiculed when we go to ag events, don't we? Constantly, like we're, like we're going to a conference next week in next Thursday. And we'll be standing on our own in the corner and people will just walk past us and they'll look and say, what do these guys know about agriculture and agricultural markets? Bloody blow-ins. That's what they'll say. Unless they'll say, we'll respect them once they've been in this industry for 150 years. That's generally the comments we get. Yeah, you can't. I think it depends on the environment. You can get a bit of that sometimes. It's no, almost I'm like you can never work hard enough to prove yourself is that is that um do you find are you talking about your experiences there in the uk or is that also in new zealand or are you just saying more broadly you know it doesn't matter where you are you still get that old traditional element occasionally i think yeah just more broadly you know you can yeah just meet those people and it's no matter how much you do you still don't know enough but i, I think you'd probably get that in any industry really probably probably yeah, I think you do. But I think in agriculture, you can tend to find, you know, if you don't have a street named after you in your local town, then uh, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not part of the farming community. But like, so yeah. she, she went to New Zealand, yeah? So that's just to remove any confusion. On this Global Sheep Farmer podcast, each of the representative organizations from around the world select a, um, a farmer to come on and talk about sheep farming in their country. And uh, just to alleviate any confusion, in New Zealand they didn't have enough farmers farming sheep, so they. <laughs> well, it has been it has been a downturn in the you know the sheep flocks reduced in New Zealand, and there's only now I think uh, for every New Zealander there's only five sheep now. There used to be twenty, so you know probably with the sheep coming down, also the numbers of farmers have come down as well. So, so, so basically, they've chosen to go back to the motherland <laughs> uh, to, to get a farmer to discuss New Zealand. New Zealand sheep. So that's why we're instead of talking to somebody in New Zealand, we're talking to somebody in Lincolnshire about New Zealand sheep. So, so, so why why did you why did you go to New Zealand? Um, for the sheep, really? No, because I think they're they're renowned for being quite, I think, progressive in their sheep farming practices and sort of their sheep breeding and also grassland management. And I'd kind of heard about all of that. Um, Oh, I think I was talking to some people on my 
year abroad in France and some dairy technicians and they run about sort of grassland management. They said, you need to go to New Zealand. That's the place to go. And I think just more and more people kept saying it to me. So then I thought, well, looks like a nice place to go. Why not? Um, so I went there originally for six months and then, yeah, still, still there. Same as me, Matt. Mm-hmm. This... You've done, Andrew's just done 13 years last weekend, was it? On three oh, wow. day, three day, four days ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Four days ago was the anniversary of me stepping foot in Australia for a, yeah. a year or two. Came out as a, a backpacker and now, now look at you. Did, did my time in the, in the bars of Bondi, the bars of Western Australia. Uh, not serving on the other side, uh, but in me, you know, 13 years, most of my adult life, mm-hmm. one third yep. of my entire life in Australia. Mm-hmm. Now. Well, that, you know, Ireland's, Ireland's loss is Australia's it's, game. It's Australia's it? game, yeah. So, uh, g'day, bonza. So, why, why did you not choose Australia? Why New Zealand? Have you, have you, are we're you not, we're not good enough with the sheep by the sound of things? She wanted to well, go to the but why, why would at the moment are you permanently staying in New Zealand? Is that the plan? Yeah, well, as far as I have a plan, yeah, I'm just gonna see how it goes. What about Australia? Would you ever consider Australia? Uh, yeah, I think I would. Yeah, well, we've got lots, just... we've got lots of listeners in this podcast, you know, and mm. if you want to, and, offer... and, and, and still, there's a, still there's a bit of a labor shortage. You know. So, in regional rural areas with people with good skills like that you've got you know. so if you want a job if, if you know if you want to poach one of the New Zealanders I think Australia poaches quite a lot of New Zealand rugby players don't they <laughs> so, any 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 rugby player that plays well I think we'll take yeah. and, and football players from England and Scotland yeah. uh, so get in touch if you want to employ uh, Emily so, I'm not sure I'm not sure if the uh, New, Ze- New Zealand uh, you know, kind of uh, organisers of this podcast will be happy with us trying to poach people to Australia. I'm not sure if that's... It's about enterprises and industries working together around the world for a global good, not for one individual country's benefit. It's about sharing the wealth and sharing the knowledge. Well, yeah, fair enough. So, Emily, so you went to New Zealand to... Because well, basically you felt that that was um, where you could get some very good skills in grass management, you said, and, and just, just general kind of... Cheap husbandry, I guess. Um, what are what are some of the the key kind of what would be your top ones that you've really felt was most useful in terms of developing your skill set once you got there? Um, I think generally just sort of learning how to handle well, learning how to handle sheep on hill country and how to manage them, um, just how to handle large numbers of sheep, um, the kind of sort of animal health issues that arise in certain areas um just everything really i suppose about running sheep on hill country what's the what's the current place you're at now what are they you said they do, they've got cattle as well as sheep is that right yeah so we've got um we've got hereford and angus cattle and we have about I think we got about 13,000 ewes currently. We did drop a bit in numbers because we're sort of going through the process of changing sheep breeds at the minute. So we've got um, 8,000 half-breds, which is a Romney ram over a merino ewe. And we've got 5,000 perindels, which are 
well, they were quite a popular hell breed in New Zealand, but that they're the ones we're trying to phase out and go more towards the halfbreds. So, do, what's the what's the view there? Is, are you trying to moving to a different kind of marketing to a different area, or what's the what's the method or the, the logic behind the change to breed? You know, change in breeding composition. Um, just the halfbreds are all round just uh, better sheep because. The Perindales, they're, they're tough sheep and they're, well, they're quite big, tough sheep, but they just don't produce, like, their fertility is was sort of going downhill and they're quite angry sheep. So handling-wise, they're not great. And they're also very hard, like, we have a lot of sort of dry hill country because it's, parts of it is very shallow soil and then rock is not far underneath. So the grass kind of burns off quite quickly in summer and the perindals are just too hard on that kind of land they just hammer it whereas the halfbreds they sort of i think they're a bit like goats really they kind of like browse they don't just go and mow a block they'll sort of go there and have a bit and then go over there and have a bit so they're a bit more gentle and also a lot more fertile their mothering ability is absolutely awesome which is what you want in a hill sheep and also their wool that was another big thing because the perindals are crossbred so their wool is like is quite coarse it's sort of about oh, 35 micron All whereas right, yep. the halfbreds is sort of like um ours are about 25 26 micron i think well ideally i mean we have some outside of that but that's what we're aiming for so you're moving away from that coarse wool that's that's kind of struggled a bit price wise as well in the last few years yeah because i yeah. mean by the time you pay the shearers with that kind of crossbow ball, there's there's no margin in it anymore. What's the um what's the situation in New Zealand with regards to getting access to shearers? Are they all being kind of uh, stolen from Australia as well, or uh, can you get shearers over there reasonably easily? Um, I mean, I'm, I don't know about anywhere else, but I mean, locally we have quite a few gangs going around and I'm, I'm pretty sure they're all kiwis yeah locally we seem not to struggle as there's quite a few local gangs but i'm not too sure about the everyone else everywhere else. well yes when you say kiwis do you mean maori or ki- kiwis is in just new zealanders well both of any sort yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it's the same so do you well, yeah, okay, yeah, but I would have thought I wouldn't have think I would have thought New Zealand doesn't have a lot of imported shearers in there. They te- I mean, they tend to be a nation that exports their shearing teams, at least to Australia. Hmm. But do you, are you saying there are shearers there that are not originally from New Zealand at all, kicking around? Oh, there could be. <laughs> do, do you have much to do? I don't, I don't do understand. Much- the, I don't understand the question, but like. They don't, they don't have a, a ban on Irish or Scottish. Or no, 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 people. no. no, but, I, no I, know, I know Australian shearers go over to New Zealand. Yeah, I would have thought that. I would have thought it would have been more one-way traffic to Australia. I don't. I've not heard of a lot of Australian shearers go across there. Maybe you could go there and do a bit of a holiday shearing yeah. event. You know, but just when Emily specified Kiwi shearers, I just naturally assumed that most of the people, most of the shearers in New Zealand would be Kiwis. Mm. Of you know, one sort or another, not not imported ones from somewhere else. No, I, I sorry, that was my fault. No, 
you're right they do generally go the other way like in the uk there's heaps of kiwis that come over here sharing yeah yeah kiwis go everywhere sharing i think that's what i mean they're it's a big export commodity i think sharing sharing services for new zealand so um i was going to ask you do you have much to do with the cattle as well or are you mainly focused on the sheep um yes unfortunately i do have to do some work with the cattle um Nah, I like them really. They're just a bit wild because they're hill cattle. But yeah, I do, I do, do probably as equal amount with the sheep as with the cattle. And what's your role? What's your role there on the farm? What are you, what are you kind of doing in terms of the, the day to day? Well, uh, officially, I'm um, the two IC, which seems to me, if if things go wrong, then I have to go and sort it out. If the boss is away. But um, no, just a bit of everything, really. I could be helping drench lambs, um, driving the tractor, uh, planning, I don't know, planning next week's work, uh, doing feed budgets for winter, um, doing all sort of like the, you know, the traceability stuff, recording what animal health stuff you've used, just anything and everything that he's doing. Would it be fair to say that Lincolnshire is more of a cropping area traditionally than livestock? I mean, obviously you've got pigs, but not not kind of cattle and sheep country a lot, is it? Or would it be pigs and cropping? Is that would that be a fair representation of there? It's like chickens. Yeah, as well. it's, yeah, chickens as well. So yeah, intensive, intensive, intensive livestock and cropping. So what yeah. what was the what was sugar, the attraction? Sugar, sugar, sugar beet as well. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, a lot of that. Is that to make? Oh, and- um, Solar panels. There's a lot of solar panels in Lincolnshire now. There is now, yeah. Is the sugar beet for some kind of biofuel type stuff, or what are they using that for? Sugar. For sugar beet. Oh, like sugar. to yeah, yeah, like to make proper refined sugar. Yeah. Is it okay? Huh. Fair enough. Um. So I was just so getting Matt, back. Matt, so what was Matt, the... you always tell you you always call yourself? Oh, I know more than about agriculture than anyone else. No, and I I've never <laughs> said that. You're you're getting me confused with someone else. That, it says that, yeah. Um, well, it wasn't but, me because I always say I'm. I'm no, still, it wasn't I'm, you. I'm, 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 not, I'm still an apprentice. Yeah, in, no, I'm not in, suggesting in, it was agriculture. Uh, um, I'm not suggesting that. No, it is used for biofuels as well. And they also they've got. Sorry, this is a completely divergent fact. At Kings Lynn, they've got a factory that converts the sugar. It's called Trident, I think it used to be called. But they also they pump all the carbon dioxide from the plant into glass houses for tomatoes and they're now one of the biggest producers of tomatoes in the uk they just say that they say they rather do tomatoes in cold environments and then you heat the you heat the greenhouse rather than the other way around because they're easier to grow and more efficient i think that way and the carbon dioxide makes them grow quicker oh, so okay. a, a quick question for you yeah in the we always talk, or we don't talk, but generally people always like to talk about the positives of agriculture and how it's absolutely fantastic. And we're all about telling the positive story of agriculture and why you should consider a career in agriculture because it's so great and et cetera, et cetera. So there's always a rose-tinted view of agriculture. What are the tasks you absolutely hate on the farm? Dealing with the cattle by the sound of things. Apart from that one, because yeah. that one. Apart from the cattle, what, what in relation to sheep, what jobs do you absolutely hate? Um, I don't, don't think I hate any of the sheep jobs, to be honest. I don't, well, maybe 
maybe drench and lambs when you've got about I don't know three or four thousand to drench it can get a bit repetitive but I don't I, I mean it's got to be done I don't hate hate it but what, what's the bottom of your list of apart from drenching what is the bottom of your list and what's your your free items that you least like to do then maybe not maybe hates a strong word uh oh gosh that's a really hard question only sheep related ones i'll expand it you can go beyond sheep oh winning cattle then <laughs> <laughs> what well, this one gets me but look given what i what i was just asking before around what was around you in Lincolnshire, what what was the attraction of going to something like sheep and not say pigs? Because that's you know what or you grew or, up around, or or, 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 cro or cropping. Yeah, so I'm saying I say or cropping as well. Like it sounds like your in your initial uh, experience was was in a cropping type environment when you first started out. Um, was there any thought to go there, or you just were attracted to sheep for some reason? Um, I do. I did enjoy the arable side. Um. But no, I was always really drawn to the livestock side because uh, I went up to, I think it was maybe the first or second Easter that I'd sort of got involved in farming. I went up to Yorkshire um, to help out some two farmers who had hill farms up there. And yeah, just from that moment, I was just absolutely hooked on sheep. It was just, just something about them as an animals when you work with them. And I think also... In the UK, there's sort of like quite a big culture and tradition still attached to them. So like, obviously, collie dogs came from Scottish borders from the UK. And Dumfries that's still and a, Dumfries and Galloway. Yeah, that's still like, along, along like the, a, the belted Galloway. Yes. Um, yeah, that's still a big part of uh, hill farming. Also, we have, I think it's unique. We have the stratification system. So you have like the Swaledales on the hill and then you cross them with the blue-faced Leicester to get the mule and then you put the lowland uh, rams over them. And that just that whole system and the way they have sort of the common grazing on the moorland uh, over here, that, that just everything about it just really captured me. And I just really enjoyed lambing when I did it and working with the sheep, so from that yeah from that moment on it was very very and i, I want to do sheep farming well, that probably explains the attraction then of new zealand as well andrew rather than australia because if there's one place in the world where the farmers are renowned for loving their sheep it's new zealand and maybe wales hmm. and aberdeenshire <laughs> so that's us cancelled again um <laughs> Carbon taxes, like looking at New Zealand, yeah. New Zealand's at the at the forefront. You said that uh, New Zealand is a very progressive place, progressive farmers, uh, progressive politics as well. So at the moment, they are uh, introducing sort of carbon taxes. What is the view around the district when you talk? You must be obviously talking to farmers around the place. What what is the general consensus when you're talking to farmers? That does that come up in conversation? The carbon taxes and whatever it is they're doing over there? Yes, frequently. Um, no, general consensus is it's not, it's not a good thing. Um, I mean, farmers, farmers obviously care about the environment. You know, they're custodians of the landscape. It's not that they have no interest in looking after the environment. 
think it's the way the government are going about it. And especially because New Zealand, are the, I think they're the first country to introduce this kind of um, emissions tax on mm. uh, on livestock. Yeah, the first one. And I th- think the argument is that the way that livestock are farmed in New Zealand, it's one of the most efficient producers of animal protein. Well, no, because in tens of units will be the most efficient, but sort of like grass-based production, they're the most efficient producers of that kind of animal protein. Um, so I think if you did a proper carbon audit of sort of your typical New Zealand farm, it would actually be carbon neutral or it'd even be taking in carbon from the atmosphere purely because of the system. So I think that's the argument is how why are you taxing us when actually if you did a full carbon audit, we're actually taking in carbon from the atmosphere. So, so on, on um, your on your farm, uh, is your farm looking at what it's going to be doing over the next couple of years in terms of carbon sequestration, planting trees or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, we haven't done too much well, there's certain sort of biodiversity things we're looking at now as part of our wall audit. We haven't done too much in terms of carbon auditing because it's still, this framework laid out by the government is still being changed basically every week. So it's kind of hard to do any kind of forward planning. But we are looking at planting more trees, um, well, for that, but also because well for shelter for it it sort of has a dual purpose as shelter belts for the sheep as well so yeah it's it's a bit hard to plan though because government can't really decide what they're so, doing so the government policy is constantly changing so yeah. there's no real assurance of that there can be a carbon tax well i think i was reading an article was it released last week from beef and lamb new zealand and they said so the government i think by the sounds of it, it has now put prices on methane emissions or they're going to price up methane emissions per per head of cattle, per head of sheep. But they, they've they not yet come up with how they're actually going to calculate methane emissions on a per farm basis and calculate carbon um, sequestering uh, on the farm. So it seems it seems a bit backwards the way they're going about it. So it seems like it's going to be a dog's break. Yeah. Like, like I, think, I think this is, it's an interesting sort of test case as well, being the first country to be doing it. And I think other countries around the world are probably looking at it to see, well, what's going to happen there? Because I think Canada's tried some things. Netherlands has tried some things. Ireland is looking at culling mm. cattle in order to meet its... So limiting the number of cattle in the country. I don't know if that is true or not, but it's an interesting one if that is the case. So do you do you ever like you you're on holiday you're on holiday just now in the UK? Is that right? Yeah, I've just come home for a couple of months. So does it make you want to come back? Does it make you want to find a you know a hill country sheep place in the UK or is New Zealand the one you go back to? I was curious about whether like, you must be you must be driving around and looking at the countryside and thinking, you know, I could come back here and look after ten sheep on ten acres. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah, I mean, it has crossed my mind. But then, I mean, the other week I went to see someone that I used to work for down in Devon, and talking to him, it's not it's and I think the grass always looks greener on the other side. But then 
when you talk to people, you actually realise there's big problems over here too in farming at the minute. So, yeah, I don't really know which where is the better place to be if there is one at the minute. Is, is the plan, is the long-term plan still to try and have your own farm or are you happy at the moment just working in the in the sector? Um, I think long-term, I haven't really put a time frame on it, but, yeah, long-term I'd really like to have my own farm. Um, but at the minute I'm just sort of trying to work for other people to build up my skills and knowledge and because I think everyone has a different way of doing things even if it's the same task someone has a slightly different way of doing things so I think it's a good way to to learn because you can it is I mean Andrew and I even though we came from a non-ag background we did own a pig farm for about five years didn't we Andrew thank goodness we don't have that anymore I'll tell you that (laughs) so you can you can get into it like it just depends on whether you you want to Andrew didn't like the pigs, didn't like the smell of the pigs. I guess sheep, you know, they're a bit easier on the nose, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. they smell quite nice compared to pigs. And you, yeah. and good, you can get good soft hands from the lanolin coming off the oil. So, you know, yeah. It's all those added beauty benefits, Andrew. I used, I, used, I used to be four foot five before we had the pigs. And all that wading through shit, you know, it fertilised me and grew me to 5'11". So that's my experience. It was just how I could not get used to the smell of them. I couldn't. Anyway, that's. Well, there's no black pudding without pigs, right? So, you know, yeah, or not, pro- not proper traditional black pudding anyway. Look, I'm, I'm, I've done my stint in farming and I've gone back to the city slicking living. For me, food comes from a supermarket. R- rural urban divide. There's a good. There's an interesting thing you mentioned. You mean rural, rural versus, versus urban divide? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, it, it, I always find it really interesting. Like people like the three of us who come from non-agricultural backgrounds. Probably, I don't know. Most of my friends are probably non-agricultural. Same, most, same here. Same most, here. Matt doesn't have any friends because he's unlike. No, well, apart from you, Andrew. Apart from you, you, yeah, you and I are friends, of course. And, and then, like, you, I don't know what it's like for you, but like back home, like all the people you went to school with probably didn't do go into agriculture. I'm guessing. And no, no. So, 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 uh, do you find that like there's a lot of the people are asking you more questions because they're curious? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, my family and friends, they're always, since I started farming, they're always interested in what I'm doing. And I definitely think, so my mom now, when she goes shopping, she tries and buys meat locally now because she wants to support local farmers. But she'll pay more attention to like Shouldn't she be in like Asda looking for the product of New Zealand to support you? Uh, Yeah, I don't don't know if I go down well around here. Do you know know, my my mother... (laughs) when the free trade agreement between uh, Australia and the UK came into force. She, she was very happy. She, she was, was over happy. the moon. She yeah. was like, got to get some cheap lamb finally. But <laughs> but that's an interesting point, actually, the free trade agreement. Have you, when you were speaking to your friend down in Devon, mm-hmm. did they mention anything about the free trade agreement between Australia and the UK? Because there's been a lot of people in the UK complaining about it like sheep farmers yes um yeah he's he's not too happy i think i think a lot of uk farmers feel like they've been 
thrown under the bus, I think was the word used. But yeah, just because I, I think they have, they're worried that the market is just going to be absolutely swamped with uh, Australian, New Zealand beef and lamb, which do you think? Do you think that's a, cheaper. is that is that a specific or that feeling of being thrown under the bus or how things are going? Do you think that's a specifically UK experience? I mean, it seems like there's farmers in Ireland that are you know dissatisfied with what's happening. There's farmers in the Netherlands dissatisfied you know so is it is it more of a european scenario at the moment that it just feels like the politicians are against them well the uk is not in europe just so i know, know that well they're they're, they're not in the eu they are t- they're still part they're, of they're on the european continent yes but they, i know but they're not part of the eu anymore. EU. they're not part of the yeah. eu political bloc mm, just, just but- to confirm we like to be accurate in this podcast uh, one of us likes to be accurate in this podcast emily mm. But I'm just saying that, that 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 sentiment is shared by a lot of farmers within geographical Europe. Yeah. But yeah, but also in New Zealand as well, I think there's a very anti-politicians sentiment. Well, for good for good reason, because I think in the UK as well and in New Zealand, during COVID, it was very um thank you farmers for carrying on producing our food you know you're essential to the country and then as soon as that was over it's back to what can we do to make farmers lives harder so it seems i don't know that's probably, it, true. That's probably, probably true of australia though as well i mean if no, any, west, any west australian west australian farmers listening if, to if, this you podcast, speak to, if you speak to western australian farmers they love the federal the government po- and the state <laughs> government <laughs> i'm going there at the end of this week i'm going to get lynched now thanks for that uh, but the, yeah, like I think it's just a, it's a tendency at the moment. There's a lot of political instability around the world. Even even out with agriculture, there's a lot of political instability, and there's a lot of people complaining about uh, whether it's truck drivers complaining about you know tackles or what limits on that. Mining industry complaining about emissions rules, concrete industry. Everyone's complaining about something because there's a lot of change happening, especially the last couple of years of COVID. So I think out with agriculture is also an issue, and it's not just <laughs> it's not just within agriculture. Is that just before we yeah, before you go on from that? I just want to check a, a particular point because when Andrew came across to Australia and started using the phrase "out with." I'd said to him that that's not a word, right? It certainly is not a word in Australia, and I didn't think it was a word in English. Um, now, being someone from England, um, is I mean, out with is out with a word you're familiar with, Emily, or would have used uh, in the past? Um, I haven't used. I've I've only ever heard one other person say it. Were they Scottish? Um, actually, he is. Yes, he's half Scottish. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, it, it, technically, it's a Scottish word. But we pretty much invented the modern language and economics. So <laughs> I think that we've got a right to use that word. And I'll die on that hill. And I will continue using out with in Australia. And I will not be edited by any censors because it's a true word. And it is a perfect word. It's almost one of the most perfect words you can get. It's the opposite of without, out with. <laughs> So in many ways, it's, it's a good word. But we'll do a whole podcast on that next week. Um, but actually, that's another question for you. Barriers of being a foreigner, being an immigrant, 
like the two of us are both immigrants. You know, we both we both come to a new country. Have you ever had any issues being an immigrant in a new country? Um, Apart from when the rugby's on. Well, yeah, that can be dangerous times. But um, no, New Zealand immigration is not the easiest thing to get around, um, which which is bizarre because there is such a shortage of labour in, well, all forms of farming in New Zealand, but they really only seem to concentrate on uh, vets and dairy farm workers. And if, if it's anything else, it's quite hard to get a visa, but... Yeah, that's probably the main barrier. Difficult as well. Australia is quite difficult to get a visa as well. Um, and it's, I think they're looking at agricultural visas at some point. That's an on the radar, off the radar type of a thing. But I think that's one of the things that we need to get, both in Australia, but also the UK as well, is the numbers of staff to actually work on farms. It's now impossible. Mm. Should we probably gonna have to end it pretty soon, Matthew? Mm-hmm. Unless you've got anything else you want to any riveting questions you've got to ask? Um no, I think we've covered we've covered off on quite a bit. What's what's the national dish of New Zealand? In Australia it's a pie, yeah. Is it? I think so. Or Vegemite on toast or something, isn't yeah. it? Or palmy. But what what's the national dish of New Zealand? Um I mean, Ch- Ch- they... Chinese takeaway. Yeah. Or they claim they invented fish and chips, but I think that's up for debate. Oh, Pavlova. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that'll be it. Yeah, Pavlova. And there's a good one to end it on. Pretty sure Pavlova's an Australian invention, but anyway, along with Crowded House. <clears throat> right Oh, Well, Emily... Thanks for spent taking the time out. I know it's uh, early morning in uh, Lincolnshire, and you're on holiday, so there's probably lots of stuff you want to do. Like, I don't know what tourist sites there are in Lincolnshire. You know, go and walk along the flat fields, and uh, go to Emmingham, see the coal boats coming in. Maybe go to Grimsby or Humberside. You know, go to the fancy shops up there. Matt, you don't know what those areas are, but they are. I lived, I lived for two years. In, you, you, never went to, you never went to Grimsby, though, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I did not. No, no, uh, they are not on the tourist uh, book for uh, for the UK at all. Back where I like them. Great food there, if you like fish and chips. Covered in coal. And black pudding. And black pudding. Right, oh, well, thanks very much for coming along. And uh, again, thanks for uh, the Global Sheep Forum for uh, putting together the three of us. It's like oh, what's the, what's the, what's the word, Matt? It's in English. It's a form between two roses. No, a rose between two thorns. That's yeah, an English that's expression. Yeah. There we go. I think that's a good way to end it. Thanks for coming on, Emily. See you when you got nothing on. Cheerio. Thanks for having me.